Romans 8, verse 1. Let me just, for those of you who are visitors, um, this, just imagine, this is Paul's writing to a small house church uh, in Rome, headquarters of Caesar's empire. Uh, Paul is writing because there's been a problem. Uh, the, the emperor had kicked out all Jews, including Christian Jews, from Rome, but now things are changing and the Christian Jews with other Jews had returned back to the city of Rome and the Christian Jews had gone back into the church in Rome with the Gentile Jews. But there were problems and they weren't getting on. And uh, Paul is writing to show the Gentile Jews and the Christian Jews that they all have a common origin. It's all to do, it's, God is fulfilling his promises to Abraham and it'll come to a climax in chapters 9 to 11, and it's summarized in 15.8. But And so, I see Paul, as you would have known by now, is going to build this very, it is a very difficult letter in parts, very complicated. Um, but he, he builds it all around the, the Exodus story. Moses and the Exodus, chapters 1, 2, 3, are to do with the captivity in Egypt, then they're redeemed, they're saved out of that, they come out, they're redeemed by the blood of the Passover, as it were. Uh, and then in chapters 6, remember, there's baptism, just as the children of Israel were baptized. Chapter 7, the law comes. The law was given in Sinai. And now we've come in chapter 8. We're heading across the desert, as it were, to the promised land. And we, just as they were led by the pillar of fire and, and cloud, so now he's going to say, now we have been led. You have been led, Jew and Greek, Sorry, Jew and Greek, Gentile, Christians, all together. They're all together, common origin, common source. We're in this common uh, journey. And uh, so he's going to show us how we proceed on that journey, being led of the Spirit. It's all based on that story of Moses and the Exodus. But anyway, here we go. Therefore, because of all I've said in the past, he's saying, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because... Through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man. In order that the righteous requirements of the law may be fully met in us, we do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their mind set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of a sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, since or if the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of God, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. 
And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. It's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you again a slave again to fear. But you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And if we are children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. Well, that is the word of God. Well, they're going through a hard time. And we'll look next week, whenever it is the next session, is that, no, there's a groaning, there's a hard time, and it's hard in this journey. There's opposition, there's trouble, and you know that well. And you, you may think, well, what is the point of the Christian life? And they, they will say, well, what's the point of it? And because we live in our culture, the culture says, well, the, the great thing is happiness. That's the big thing. You've got to be happy. You've got to be fulfilled. No, others say, no, the great thing is, is, is success. Success in business. That's the secret. Success in your career. Success in your, in, in your family. That's it. Well, Paul says, no, I'll tell you the real thing, the real reason. The real reason why you Jews and Gentiles were made believers is this, and he says at the end of look at verse end of verse four. In order that the just requirements of the law may be fully met in us, who live not according to the old nature, but according to the Spirit. In other words, the point of the Christian life is that you might be why has called you not just to get you to heaven, but that he might produce a people here. Well, in Rome and here in High Wycombe, who live godly, righteous, sacrificial, serving, holy, pure lives. That is why he's called you. That's the, that the just requirements of the Lord will be fully met in you. Well, it seems a tall order, doesn't it? It seems very difficult. And um, how are we going to do it? Well, let me just, he's going to list. He's going to, if we time, if we time, we'll... We'll do the list. And it will simply be a list this morning. We haven't time to, to fill them out. The first thing, he says, the first thing, you know, because he wants, he wants you to be strong. He wants you to leave this building and every day to reign in life, to rule in life, to be winners. That's why you're here. That's what he's trying to get to these Christians. In Rome, in, in Caesar's lair, his headquarters, he wants you to, 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 um, to win. Well, the first thing he says then, and look what he says it takes. He says... Therefore, there is therefore no, condemn, no, no condemnation. Therefore, because of all I've been saying in the past, all I've been saying, and we've, you've studied this, and uh, because of all he said, everything depends on, you've got what I've said. Therefore, you know, we could pick any verse from the last uh, half a dozen chapters, couldn't we, and, and, and preach for an hour on the word therefore, because unless you understand that, there's no point in going on. But he says, you know, for just as, you know, if through the sin of one man, he says in Romans 5, if through the sin of one man, death reigned 
through that one man. Death is endemic, not just physical death, but spiritual death. How much more will those who receive the free gift of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Christ Jesus? Because all that is done, this is our call. Therefore, he says, he says, there is no condemnation. No condemnation. And so he jumps from chapter 5. You remember, verses, chapter 6 and 7 are, are parentheses. It goes off on a uh, two rabbit runs, as it were, to answer two big questions, massive questions, which he answers. Now he comes back now in chapter 1, chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, picking up from chapter 5, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And so the first thing you have to know if you're going to win in life is that you're clean. That's the first thing you have to learn, is that you're clean. You're not condemned. Now, we've been watching some pretty salacious court cases, you know, and you often think, well, suppose everybody, somebody finds out the worst about me. I remember Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the author of Sherlock Holmes, for a joke, he sent 12 telegrams to his friends, flee the country, for all is found out. Just as a joke, several of them left the country. (laughs) But we often think, you know, what if everything is found out about us? Because we have broken God's law. We have lived for ourselves, we've been selfish, we've been greedy, we've done things we're ashamed of. We have broken God's law. And Paul says, this law of God, look what he calls it. He calls it the law of sin and death. The very law of God, he calls the law of sin and death. Because that's what it produced in him. It produced that. It was like a mirror to him. He looked at it and he saw that he failed. He saw himself. He failed. I mean, he himself, he said, you know, he persecuted Christians. He chased them around the, to dig them out, these new followers of this Nazarene. And he had them imprisoned and some he had killed. And then he realized what a sinner he was. And it showed him how utterly selfish he was. And uh, how can you be clean? And uh, as Neil was saying last week, you know, you come to the opposition. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? Who will get rid of the grot that's in us that we carry around before a holy God? For one thing is certain, my friends, God does not forgive sin. Remember that. Yeah, I said that. God does not forgive sin. He forgives sinners. Sin has to be paid for. Sin always has to be judged. God never forgives sin. He deals with it. Well, Paul knows that. <laughs> it's condemnative. And uh, I mean, the law is fine. It's like a, a metal spade. The spade's fine, but the handle's always breaking. Or the spade's fine, but every time you use it, the, spade cra- the handle cracks, as it were. The law's fine, it's good and pure and right. But I am sold under sin, he says. Anyway, we won't go back into Romans 7. He says, but God does something. Look at the text, it's amazing. I mean, the law was powerless, he says, to do that, but it was weakened by my sinful nature. It's impossible. I've tried it. But he says God had done something. God did this by sending. Look at the text. His own son. His own son. Christianity is based on facts, my friends. It's not a philosophy. It's facts. 
He came in the likeness of sinful flesh. Doesn't say he, he, he came in the flesh, yes. But he didn't come as a sinful in sinful flesh. It's only the likeness of sinful flesh. Oh, he was fully man. He was tempted, he, he, got, he got tired, he got weary, he was grieved, he was, and all the rest of it. He was thirsty, he was fully man. But he did not come in, the, in, the, in sinful flesh. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh. But that, the one, why did he come? Why did he come? Well, Paul tells us. Let me say, God does not forgive sin. It must be punished. And God sent his own son to become a sin offering. He kept the law in every detail. He came as our representative. That's the whole argument of, you've studied Romans 5, that massive passage, 12 to 21. He comes as our head and our representative. He dies in our place. He fulfills every demand of the law. Everything the Lord demands, he does and goes beyond it even. And he take, not only does he fulfill the law, he takes the punishment that you and I deserve. He becomes a sin offering. He becomes the, the depository of all your sin and your growth and, and vileness and perversity that's in all of us. It's not just in a few perverts, a court at central court. We're all like that by nature, my friends. No, no, Paul says... But he comes as a sin offering. And Paul says, look what he says. He condemns sin in the flesh. He passed judgment on your sin. Where? In the very body and soul and spirit of our blessed Lord. His own son. <laughs> he condemns in his son. The Lord demands obedience. Jesus is obedient. You see, <laughs> to become a Christian, to bury simply, we are joined to Christ. We are put in Christ. Let me try and illustrate this. I was preaching in um, St. Petersburg a couple of years ago and for a, a gift or honorarium or something. At the end, uh, they gave me this doll. Now, I don't often get dolls for preaching. But uh, it's very kind of them. And probably according to the sermon, that's probably... Never mind. Uh, <laughs> But you know that all these Russian dolls have another doll inside, right? Now then, when you become a Christian, you are put in Christ. Paul's great phrase all through his letters are in Christ. You are joined to Christ. Don't think it through too much. You have a lifetime to do that. Just accept it this morning. You're put in Christ. And whatever happens to this outer doll... Happens to the inner one. Wherever I put it, it stays. Whatever, if I put it over here, the, the, the lesser, the smaller doll goes with it. Everything that happens to Christ happens to you. You are in Christ. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. That's what he's saying. And he's, he's going to work this illustration. It's all in Christ. You're joined to Christ. It, that's the package. It's like... If you buy a travel insurance, I got an annual travel insurance, and uh, in the packet they say you get personal accident, you get uh, baggage loss, money loss, legal expenses, hijack, medical expenses, cancel holiday, um, delayed departures, etc., etc. It's all in the package. Now you have to understand everything is in Christ. A Christian is someone who's in Christ. 
joined to Christ spiritually, eternally, dynamically by God. That's what it's about. Right. So that's the first thing. And because you're in Christ, there is no condemnation. It's not just forgiven, my friends. You're not just forgiven. Everything is removed. But not just everything is removed, you're in Christ. So when you stand before a holy God, you stand in union with Christ. You're in Christ. You're joined to Christ. There's no condemnation in Christ. Not because you're a good chap or you've done this or that. No, you're in Christ. And that's what he says. And, um, and that, well, it's, I don't feel it. It's nothing to do with feelings, my friend. This is not an experience. This is your status, your position, your identity. Now, this morning, no matter what you feel like, this is what he's talking about. And, uh, and nothing can separate you from the law of God. You're not under the law. You are under Christ. You're in Christ. Let me illustrate this. And you've done all this in Romans 6, I know that. But let me just go over it again. There was a day, a happy day, 1 July, many years ago, when I left school. Happy day. Oh, now, I don't know about you, I went to a very good school, very good teachers. I'm covering myself now first. And, uh, but school and I didn't... The only thing I loved at school was sport. But school was all detention. Wednesday night... Friday night, Saturday morning, went to school Saturday morning, master's detention, prefix detention, you could get detention for anything. I mean, you know, anything. And it's a very good school. You had to wear a hat, a school cap to and from school, and all the gear, and you weren't allowed to run in the corridor, you weren't allowed to speak at the wrong time, and you used to look in the detention book, and if you didn't get in for insolence, they would put dumb insolence. <laughs> so they're bound to get you, or running on the corridor, throwing snowballs or something. And, uh, oh, dear. but there came a day, my friends, in July, I won't tell a year, it's in the dim, distant past, when I left school and I got my cap and I threw my cap into the Leeds Liverpool Canal. <laughs> and I finished, I finished, I have finished, finished, goodbye, God bless you. I wasn't a Christian. Now, a master could come and say, read. It's 10.30. It's physics in two minutes. Now, I could say without any expletives, sir, on your bike. <laughs> I, you have no jurisdiction. I am finished. I am finished. I am gone. I am finished. I'm now... Now, I'm all for education. I had eight... And, years of full-time education after that. And, but I'm finished with that school. I can go to the University of Grace, the College of Freedom. I, am, I love learning, but I'm finished with all that laws and rules. And <laughs> Now, actually, the school was fine. It was me that was wrong. But there comes a day, I'm finished with the law. It can't condemn you anymore, Christians. We're finished with it. We're in the law of grace. We're in Christ now. And uh, that's where we are. And um, because of that, we're not under Torah. So that's the first thing. We're, 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 there's no guilt now. There's no condemnation. Secondly, something else wonderful, he says. Look what he says. He says, for the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. So the great thing is that not only are we in Christ... 
But he does something even, well, not as wonderful, but just wonderful. You'll know that he puts his own life and spirit in us. The spirit of Christ comes in us. The spirit of life in Christ comes in us. So Christ is not only, not, we're not only in Christ, but Christ is in us by his spirit. That's the wonderful thing. We have a new principle of life in us. Now, uh, last year, I remember I was watching this great waterfall, these great waterfalls tumbling down, great tons of water crashing on these rocks. And yet the wonderful thing, there's these little birds just flying up and down. I thought, that's amazing. Yet the force of gravity crashed the water down on these rocks inexorably down. But the birds flew and fished, whatever they do. And Why? Because there is a spirit of life in them. They have this quality of thing called life in them. Now, when you become a Christian, not only is the past forgiven, are you in a new realm, but actually that new realm comes into you. There's a new life coming to you. You're born again. That's the good, the good news, isn't it? We're born of the Spirit. We're in, we're in Christ. And Christ is in us by His Spirit. And so now we can fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. And he says in verse 9, since the Spirit of Christ lives in you, is in every Christian, right? And verse 9, if anyone does not have the Spirit of God, he doesn't belong to him. We belong to Christ. We were lost property in this world of ours, and Christ came and claimed us and brought us in. We're claimed. We're in. So firstly, we are clean. You are clean, my friend. Secondly, the Spirit of, the Spirit of Christ is in you. And, um, and that's where we are this morning. And, uh, and now we can keep the law. Look what he says. For <laughs> he condemned, verse 4, so he condemned sin in sinful men in order that the righteous requirements of the law may be fully met in us. Why? Because the Spirit of God is in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the Spirit. And Paul goes on and says, love is the fulfillment of the law. We now, we want to love people now. We love our parents. We love our children. We love our enemies. We love people. We want to do the Lord of God. I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. I never used to be like that. I love reading my Bible. Why? Not because I'm spiritual. God forbid. No. Because there's a new life has come. It's true, isn't it? He's brought us to life. He's given us life. And um, now, he does backtrack a bit here. And he says, the, second, the next thing you need to know is that you Christians, you're, you're in a different category. Humanity is divided into two groups of people, those who belong to Christ and those who are not. And he just digresses, and we'll just give you the headings because it's, it's a very deep passage. Just look, and you may, you, you may have come, you may come every week, but you're not a believer. Or you come, you enjoy it, you like the people, but you know it, you're, it, you're standing back from this. Well, let just, Paul gives a list, verse Verse 5, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what their nature desires, the things that please them. It may be work, it may be business, it may be the house, it may be sport, it may be holidays, it may be money, it may be sex. It may... Now, these things in themselves are not wrong, but it's what people live for. It's what they, they, they desire, and they're ruled by their desires. And they're not interested in the gospel, no, no. Why? Because they, they lack the Holy Spirit. Oh, they may come to church and they may be nice people, but they're probably maybe the biggest rogues in the street. 
but they're not believers. And now you are a believer. But he goes on quickly, verse 6. The mind belonging to sinful men, the non-Christian, is death. They're spiritually dead. They don't get it. They're very bright, intelligent, smart people. But you talk to them about Christ, they don't get it. They can't understand why you're enthusiastic. Sorry, I, I, don't, know, I don't know where you're going. I don't know where, why? Because it's the, the mind that's set on the, the old nature is death, says Paul. And it goes on quickly. He says, he goes, it gets worse. The sinful mind, the mind belonging to the spirit, he says next, is hostile to God. Oh, there are varying degrees of hostility. It may be another uh, religion who are very hostile to Christianity. It may just be a militant atheist. But it may just be a nice person who doesn't like you Bible Christians. Oh, they have a God. It's sort of a, an identical God, you know. Uh, pick and mix. But they don't want the God of the Bible, the God of righteousness, the God of wrath and judgment and grace and, and holiness. No, no, no. We'll, we'll choose our own God. It's a bit like... Uh, you know, air conditioning in the car. We love air conditioning. It, it, you know, it, it makes the journey pleasant. It doesn't determine which, which direction we're going, but we like it. That's what we like, religion. We don't want too much change of direction, but we like a bit of comfort. We like, so we'll have a bit of religion. No, no. But they're hostile to the real thing. You wonder why these nice people, these nice holies can be so hostile to biblical Christianity. It's not just your awkward. No, it's your message that's the problem. <laughs> You may be awkward, that's in the story. <laughs> but uh, Now he says, oh, they have a God, though. Oh, I have a God, they say. He says, oh, they see God. You know, he comes when I break down, we call. When, you know, he, when he comes, we bring him in. Anyway, verse 7. He does not submit to God's law, neither can it do. They think they're free. That's the sad thing about the unbelief. They actually think they're free. I'll follow God whenever I want. But they can't. They're bound, they're dead. They're like a log going down the stream. I can turn around any time I want. No, you can't. You're driven by the, the pressures of life, the forces of life, the passions of your, your heart. You're, you're dead, Paul says. They can't. They cannot please God. They can't do it. I'll follow God when I want. No, you can't. You follow God when the Spirit moves and do it then or you'll, that may, you'll never, may never have that chance again. But then he goes on. He says, those, verse 6, those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. Nothing. Can, what the unbeliever doesn't, they cannot please God, these unbelievers. They cannot. See, what God wants from you, my friends, and what Claire has, has got us to do was actually to surrender in faith to him. And that's the last thing they'll do. But that, they can't do it. Oh, they think they're fine. We're fine, folks. We're fine. You know, we're fine. We're fine. I've said before, it's like two of my grandchildren were in my study, and I, one was four and one was three. And I said, what are you two doing in my study? And the four-year-old very quickly said, um, I think we're reading books. <laughs> well, I, he deserves a medal for that one. But the Christian thing, think, I think we're fine. I know we're fine. Sing your songs, are we? are fine. But anyway, you're fine, my friends, Christians, because you're clean, because the life of God is in you, because you're, you're believers. And um, let's move on quickly. But he, he, says, he says, you have a new identity also. You're obedient servants, verse 5. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. 
We're like these. You'll see them this week, next week at the Commonwealth Games. The runners on the line. They're waiting, waiting for the gun. And Paul says, that's how you're like. You're, like. you're just waiting for the, what the Spirit wants, what the Spirit desires. Your minds are set to please Him. That's how you are. And uh, you have a new life now, he says. He says the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Oh, I know you have some real problems, massive problems, difficult problems. But the wonderful thing, even in the midst of it, there is a peace, isn't there? There is a, a joy and a, a, ser- a, a serenity, even in the midst of horrendous pastoral family problems. The peace of God just stands guard. And that's the, true of the life of the Spirit. And um, because we're, we're, we're in Christ and we're controlled by the Spirit. Paul says in verse 9, you are now controlled by the Spirit. You're here in the Spirit. You must have seen that lady on the news a few weeks ago. She'd been born deaf. It was a wonderful thing. And they put some sort of cochlear transplants in both ears. And her mother was doing, recording this on the phone. You must have seen it the news all day and she was 70 and then the clinician started talking to her and she started hearing a human voice the first time in life and she, she taught herself to speak before then and she just studies I can hear you well you know I'm crying away at 25 past 1 in the afternoon I'm just howling at this woman it's wonderful she can hear for the first time in her life she's 40 well, isn't that true when you become a Christian? You're alive and you're hearing reality. You're hearing truth. You're hearing the Spirit. For the first time, things are making sense. And he says in verse 9, he says, the Spirit of God lives in you. The Spirit of God lives in you. And he says, if anyone does not have the Spirit of God, he doesn't belong to him. So the next thing is, and we just give you the headings, he has a future. Look, quickly, quickly. Verse, verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Jesus from the, Christ from the dead will give uh, life to your mortal bodies. And I simply give you a heading, this is, we're all working to a glorious climax, my friends. We have a great future. And the Holy Spirit is the guarantee. He's the guarantee. He's the engagement ring. Engagement's fine, but the way marriage is wonderful. And this Christian life's fine, but it's nothing compared to what God is preparing for those who love him. And, and he goes on and he develops the argument here. See, if God's, if God's giving his spirit, he's not going to stop there. He's not just going to stop in your spirit. One day you're going to have a new body. You're going to have a body which is worthy of God. Now, many of us, and I won't look at anybody personally, you know, our bodies are going down the hill fast. <laughs> Seriously. And I'm not... I'm, I'd like to say it wasn't seriously, but it is. But one day, we'll have a body like that. And that's what the Spirit is keeping us going to. And see, God will not be satisfied until he has saved you, spirit, soul, and body. That's what we're going to. You have received very little yet, Christians. You have a tremendous future. Christ is the first fruits of those who, who, who belong to him. Your salvation will not be complete until every trace of sin is removed from you. That's the, our future. That's what we're looking forward to. And uh, so, quickly, you're clean, my friends. You have the Spirit of Christ in you. You are new believers. You're obedient servants. You have an amazing future. And more than that, you have a Father in heaven. And He adopts you. 
Now, in the, in the Roman world, they often adopted people. If you didn't have a son or any children, you would adopt one of your servants as, to, as a son to inherit all your wealth. And Paul used this illustration. You have been adopted by the living God. Now, you would never, you would, it's not allowed, you would never adopt a natural child. None of us are naturally children of God. So don't, we sang the hymn at school, Dear Lord and Father of Mankind, forgive. He is not the Father of Mankind. He's only the Father of those who receive Christ and who call on His name. He, to those alone, He gave the right to be sons of God. That's what it's about. He's the creator of all men, but he's only the father of those who have made his son their savior. And that's what it's about. And he comes and he puts his spirit within us. And we, we, we are children. And, um, and uh, verse 14, and because those who are led by the spirit are the sons of God. Isn't, this is not sort of some spiritual sat-nav or GPS. No, the leading of the spirit, he leads into truth. He leads into assurance. He wants you to go out this morning, you to be assured that you're loved, that you're going to win in this week. You're not a failure. You're not useless. You can win. That's why the Spirit is given. And so he goes on. He says, for you did not receive the Spirit of sonship that makes you slave again to fear, but you received the Spirit of... Sorry, it's the Spirit of fear, but you received the Spirit of sonship. What he's talking about, and it's the direct and immediate effect of the Spirit upon you. That's what it's about. And by that spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. The direct and immediate action of the spirit on your spirit. Some of you on, have, have come to the Holy Spirit there and people have prayed and you receive that assurance. This is an experience. It can be repeated. And it's your birthright. And we're going to pray for the people later. But that's what it's about. You see, you think all the things you've been saying, how can I know that the Father in heaven, this great God, loves me? It seems impossible. It's so vast and wonderful. The, one of the ways, anyway, the, the, most, the highest form of assurance is the Spirit is direct and immediate work on your spirit. Call it whatever you like. The baptism, the fullness, the sealing of the Spirit. That you can cry, Abba! Papa, Father, and you cry. The word, the Greek word, kradso, means to shout with exultant joy and wonder. Yes! It's like when you lose your child in, you know, on the beach or in a shopping mall, and then you suddenly, after an hour, you see them. Yes! Well, you see that Father loves you. And that's what the Spirit is given for. And... Um, you have to ask him for it. You have to plead. The Puritans say, you sue him for it. You plead with him. You keep asking. If it doesn't happen on the Holy Spirit, keep going. Some of us pleaded for years until he came in that way. Don't be put off by any little sideshow. Anyway, the final thing is this, quickly. So, my friends, you are clean, my friends. You have the Spirit of God within you. The Spirit, you are, you are new people. You are... You have a father in heaven. You're obedient servants. You have a new identity. And you have a fantastic future. Look what he says, last, last line. He says, if we, now if we're children, we're heirs of God. We're heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. You will die, my friends. I will die. You will die. That body is decaying. You will die. 
But that's not, the, that's not bad news for the believer. God has made out a will. And he has made all his will to his son Jesus. He is the heir of all things. I haven't time to give verses. He has made a will. But the great thing is, we are in Christ. We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. They say very cynically, where I come from, when somebody dies, where there's a will, there's a relative. <laughs> well, I have a relative. His name is Jesus. You have a relative. And it says in Hebrews, he is not ashamed to call you brother. He is not ashamed of you. You're ashamed of yourself from this. But he is never ashamed to call you brother or sister. And if we're heirs of God, we're heirs with Christ. How will it happen? Well, you've done all this in Romans. Just as we were baptized into Christ, we were raised with Christ. And the same Spirit that raised Jesus bodily from the dead will raise you bodily to a new body, like unto his glorious body. Because you're in Christ. It's all in Christ. I has not seen, nor, it's nor any here heard. It hasn't entered into the mind of men. What God has prepared, he's prepared for those who love him. But the Spirit has made it clear to us. <laughs> Peter says we have an inheritance which, you know, will never fade, it will never spoil, it will never, whatever, perish. Reserved, reserved with your name on in heaven. Right? My friends, we go out. God's will is, look, Christians, you're clean. There's no condemnation of those in Christ. You have a new identity. The Spirit of God is in you. Christ is in you. You're in Christ. You're, you're obedient servants now. You have a heavenly Father who's totally committed to you. He wants you to be filled with the Spirit. You have a future that cannot be measured. It's wonderful. And the great thing you have to ask, my friends, is, is this true of you? That's what matters. But for those of us is, we just say, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen.